Now listening to Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games podcast. Welcome to Lost Cast episode 222. I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. Three basic topics for this episode. One is a new post from Steam about Steam philosophy. And then a perfect segue into Steam World Heist, a game I'd like to talk about. No relation. No relation. And then, uh, last but not least, we have a question from Andre about theme expectations in a game. Sounds like a cool question. We should have two topics, because then it would be episode 222 with two topics. Mm. So Okay, you want to you cut one? No. <laughs> well, two think- plus two is three, so we're good. I was okay. thinking this morning, uh, before we started recording, that we're less than 100 episodes until PiCast. Oh, PiCast. Episode 314. Well, that's just two short years away. <laughs> just that's right. <laughs> Stay tuned. Before you know it, two years from now on Lostcast, an episode <laughs> with a quirky we sh- name. Oh, but- we got to refer back to two twenty two. We'll, we'll remember for sure. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, totally. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so on the Steam blog, the Steam Store, our philosophy and next steps. Yes. So this is always an interesting uh, thing when Valve kind of talks about their approach to the Steam Store, right? Because uh it's the way that many people make money right uh and their livelihood kind of depends on having people funneled via steam into you know their product yeah you know it's kind of like getting you know preferred placement at the supermarket perhaps Mm. like it's very very important for people so you know everybody that's into selling games on steam always takes notice when um you know valve posts anything or makes any changes um you know, to the way that they show you games or or that kind of stuff. So um, this is a blog post where they're kind of detailing the direction that they're taking with the Steam store, why they're taking it. And it's a series, I think, um, of blog posts where they're kind of trying to give you a little bit more insight into um, how it all works. And there was kind of two big takeaways from this article for me. Um, the first was is that they uh, talk about how there are many competing interests and you know motivations for how people use the Steam Store as a player and how they use it as a developer. And sometimes those um, use cases are sort of contradictory in some cases, right? So right. they, they kind of start off by acknowledging the fact that like, hey, this is a hard problem. And some of it kind of feels like a, a response to like, you know, what the hell are you doing you're not doing what is best for me and I hate you, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm sure they get a lot of that. I'm sure they do. And and so like, what they're trying to say is like, hey, we have a lot of competing interests and we're trying to do the best we can. Uh, and if it seems like we're making changes that are counter to your particular best interests, keep in mind that we're trying to balance this for many people in many use cases, right? Yeah, some of their quick examples is like, uh, so they have bullet points, but players who are highly connected to the online game community and players who are totally unconnected. Uh, players who just want to browse and players who show up already knowing what they're looking for. Like, they go through all these different, uh, very contrasting types of people, right? Right. And I think that we've talked about this uh, before. You know, I've at least talked about my experience as a Steam player um, and how, you know, I, I don't use the social features at all, you know. I, some In some respects, I, I almost wish that Steam didn't have a chat feature you know you wish yeah i wish um because it's sort of like it's an extra layer of thing that i don't want you know uh 
a lot of times when I go to play a Steam game, I just want to play a game. And like a lot of times I play single player games on Steam and it's sort of my, you know, escape. And I guess I could like go offline of chat for chat or whatever, right? Um, so it's not a, a lot huge of games issue. I try to play. They they will open up Steam, so like there is no escape. You almost have to turn off your internet. But I know what you mean because you know that's that's a reason sometimes I might not play Hots or something. Is if I'm just like sometimes you just want to crawl into a hole, you know, cover yourself in a blanket, you know, just close yourself <laughs> off from the world, right? Yeah, and I know what you mean because like I've had I've had chat messages that I didn't even see for days or even weeks. You know, and then I feel bad. Like, oh, crap. Like, someone messaged me. Like, I don't, I'm not really aware of the social features on this team. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, being sort of an introverted person, um, it sort of like gives me anxiety when I have too many communication channels to keep track of, you know? Exactly. Like, I start to break down when it's like email and, you know, our forum and Discord and Gchat and Slack and Steam Twitter. forum and Steam chat, whatever. Yeah. Twitter. Yeah. Um, anyway. It's too much. It is. Uh, I guess what I was going to say is that I think that's probably a way to turn off chat specifically. Like you can be logged into Steam, but show yourself as a way or invisible or something. Oh, which cool. you know I probably should do. But yeah. <clears throat> anyways, that's not really the point. The point is, is that uh, there are a lot of different experiences for players and developers who use Steam. Right. Um, and it runs the gamut from AAA studios and to you know unknown indies trying to find their niche. And then from the developer perspective, um, or sorry, you know, from the player perspective, you know, people that are just want to buy the latest Call of Duty to people that want to find the next hidden indie gem. Uh, or, you know, like they're specifically looking for roguelikes or whatever. Right. So it's a challenging problem. And, you know, I think that the first part of the blog post is kind of detailing what the use cases are that they're trying to hit and how they're trying to to kind of move forward with that. Um, and then the second part of the blog post is what I think is more interesting, right? Because the first part's really just like, hey, there's a lot of competing interests and it's hard, right? And it's like, well, duh. That makes sense. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Valve. Thanks, Valve. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, it's kind of good to state it just because it is true, right? And, and it's good to kind of think about the changes that they make within the context of... Uh, all the competing interests that they have to deal with because, you know, they're very large service with a different, bunch of different player bases and that kind of thing. Um, but something else they talk about in the second half of the blog post is about black box algorithms versus, you know, transparent and open, I guess white box maybe is, I don't know, that's what you call an it. A, but An aquarium glass <laughs> box maybe? Glass, that's right. Yeah. Uh, anyways, it's more about like hidden algorithms versus transparent algorithms. And so one of the changes they made recently um, to that end was to be able to see why they recommend a game to you, right? Because one of the things that they've been doing, you know, as we've talked about before, you know, the Steam Store kind of first started out, I think even when we want, launched a Wizard's Lizard, uh, the Steam Store was like, here's the homepage and you're on the homepage or you're not. And if you yeah. come to the homepage, you're seeing these games, right? Yeah. And then they did a big uh, discovery update where they're kind of tailoring the homepage to your interests. Like, we think that you're going to buy this game, and so we're going to show it to you at this particular time or, you know, based on your friend's recommendations or whatever. Um, and what the one thing they talk about is how the black box algorithm is hard to deal with um, for players and, and for them, right? And, and the analogy that they make or the comparison they make is to the uh, matchmaking system in, like, their MOBA Dota 2. Or, I mean, you can really think about that 
any matchmaking system um, right. because a lot of matchmaking systems including hots uh have this black box and the players always try to reverse engineer it you know and and so in hots and, and other blizzard games which i'm more familiar with there's this hidden value called mmr matchmaking rating and it's different than what they expose to you as a player right like in those games you might be like oh i'm in diamond league or i'm in gold league or whatever i'm a grandmaster right um but that sort of is like a simplification of the algorithm under the hood where they might have you know some long number right like your matchmaking rating is like 1745 or something you know maybe something more akin to like an elo rating perhaps um, what's elo rating uh elo rating is like a i think it maybe it started with chess i don't really know the history of it too well but essentially it's a algorithm for ranking competitive play and so it kind of sets these rules about like you know let's say that you know everybody starts at 1200 and if i beat you based on the difference in our ratings i gain x amount of points and you lose y amount of points right um and then that changes you know so like you know, if I'm a 2,000 rated chess player and I lose to a 1,000 rated chess player, I lose a ton of points and they gain a ton of points. Um, whereas in the reverse scenario, if I'm a 2,000 ranked chess player and I beat a 1,000 ranked chess player, then I gain very little and they lose very little, right? Because you almost expect, like, your ranking doesn't really change that much when you uh, achieve the expected result. Right. It's like, okay, well, that was what we thought the outcome should be, so your ranking is about where it should be invented by rpad elo it's a cool name that. yeah rpad i like it yeah that's so, pretty similar it's, it's very important right because when you start a game you don't want to start with you know especially when you're, when you're beginning you don't want to be you know paired with a grandmaster and vice right. versa the grandmaster doesn't want to be paired with some noob right grandmaster wants a challenge as well right but the problem is is that there are a lot of other constraints coming into that system right like especially when you consider uh, a game like HOTS or, or Dota 2, right? Where not only do you have to take into account personal ranking, but you have to take into account who's in the pool that wants to play. You know, how many of them uh, have rankings that are similar versus how many other people that have rankings that are similar. Um, what mode of game they're trying to play. You know, is it quick match? Is it hero league? Is it team league? Uh, how many people are in a party, right? It, even if you have five people, if you, let's say you have 10 people that all have the exact same rank and five of them are in a party and the other five are not, that's a huge advantage. Right. right. So the matchmaking system has a lot of variables to take into account, you know, besides just the MMR. And they're um, constantly moving variables, right? Like somebody might drop off, somebody might pop in, a group size can change. You know, you might cancel your search and start it right back up again. Right. It's like it's like trying to hit a moving target. So it's right. like it, it's more difficult than than most problems, and it's already got a ton of variables uh, with which to solve it for. Right? Yeah, and you have to balance that against the player expectation that like, hey, I want to match as soon as possible. Right? Exactly. Yeah, like speed is of the essence there because if you're waiting too long, you might bail and play a competing MOBA or whatever it is. And you know, this kind of touches on the first part of their article, which is that players even have conflicting interests. Right? You might have players with the exact same variables the exact same rating but as a personal preference they're like i just want to get into a game asap i don't care if it's against people that are better than me or worse than me yeah where you have the opposite some players say like i would rather wait six 
plus minutes to get a good match. Right. right? And you almost can't fulfill both of those constraints at the same time, right? You would need almost like some kind of option, like a checkbox, like, I don't care, or give me the best. And at that point, you'd have another variable to solve for, right? and that'd be a big mess. I think that's kind of like, you know, in HOTS, for example, that would be like quick match versus Hero League, right? Yeah, the the mode makes a big difference. Like, when I want a decent game, uh, I I might go for unranked or something. Right. After doing that for a little while, I realized that there's a lot of, like, the the garbage... (laughs) will happen regardless of your best intentions so quick matches like i don't know optimizing for speed makes a lot of sense when you're a human being with finite time you know yes but so. that's just your perspective you know right yeah and like that could i was gonna ask you uh what, what you thought about this but the thing is it actually changes sometimes right because you might be like i'm in the mood for a really good game and other times you might be like all right my wife's getting ready we're gonna leave in about 30 minutes i just need a quick game real quick because i got nothing to do but i gotta occupy myself absolutely like yeah yeah, it could change from one game to another like what you want the way i approach the game when i play hero league is completely different you know like if i just feel like messing around and i know i might have to leave or i don't want to pay very much attention because i'm also watching tv or something (laughs) you know you sound like a horrible player (laughs) you're like oh i died three times but i was watching this scene yeah (laughs) don't 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 get on me well you know (laughs) that's kind of what i feel like quick matches for you know like Mm mm-hmm it's Slop. funny, actually. I um I find that people are actually the most toxic in quick match, and it always surprises me because it's sort of the mode that I feel like is the least expectations. You know, like yeah, people it was are gonna learning. be like, dude, it's quick match. Like, calm it. Yeah, calm it down. <laughs> but right. I I actually find much less toxicity in like unranked, for example. Mm. I think maybe not in Hero League. Uh, I don't play as much Hero League as I used to, but... Well, then know. there's actual stakes, right? Outside yes. of just, I uh, didn't have quite as much fun as I wanted to for 20 minutes, right? Like, then you have real stakes where it's like, I wanted to raise my rank and I'm never going to make the whatever for this season if you suck. Or, <laughs> right. <laughs> you get more whining. I mean, it's understandable. It, yeah, it is It is and isn't, right? Because then they it's just a game, so whatever. But... Yeah, I definitely understand, right? Like, I, I certainly get a little pissy sometimes when, like, I get into a Hero League game and it's like someone goes AFK or drops, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, don't queue up for Hero League if you don't have the time. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> You're wasting my yeah. time. I can I can picture you typing those words. Yes. Hateful, just pounding on the keyboard. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> you can hear when, when you're angry typing. Yes. Um. Anyways, sort of getting off track there, but the gist of the issue is is that, you know, Valve is kind of talking about how in their experience, it's actually easier to work on these systems when they're transparent, you know? And I think that part of the reason for that is that, you know, people are going to try and reverse engineer these systems anyway, you know? Um, I've seen lots of posts about people trying to reverse the MMR algorithm um, for the Blizzard games and like try and figure out why they got matched or complaining you know that they got matched in a certain way and it's like um i used to follow one of the uh like directors on heroes of the storm and he would always be getting people tweeting at him like you know look at this match what the heck you know blah 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 i hate you yeah basically like you ruined my life because you I matched- will find you and kill you like <laughs> whoa calm it down <laughs> it's like a, you know all solo players versus a team of five like unfair yeah Anyways, um, but, you know, basically what they're saying is that it's actually easier to debug these issues and 
it's better for the player base, you know, when they understand why, you know, things are, are shown to them, right? And then one right. of the steps that they're taking in that respect of the store is showing you why something was recommended to you because you played these other games, because someone on your friends list uh, left a good review, right? Um, yeah. A curator you follow recommended it. Um, you know, Amazon and Netflix off. are both pretty good about that. They'll be like, you know, because you watched shark week here are some documentaries about sharks or some nature shows or something right or like on amazon you know people who bought this item also bought this item right they're pretty good at that they are yeah but i feel like that's still like the the people also bought is sort of superficial in a sense right like it doesn't give you as much detail about the algorithms as you know you may want and you know maybe from the perspective of amazon you know maybe they don't need as much transparency right because you know, I feel like Amazon's core customer base is casual, more casual, right? Whereas... Well, it's, it's like global and accessible. Like, well, anyone using Steam is already like more of a gamer right, than, more, than your average person. Because I, I talk yeah. to, you know, normal human beings sometimes, right? And I'll, bring, I'll be like, do you know what Steam is? And I, most of them don't. And to us, it's like, what? Like how? I can't imagine. <laughs> or like, you'd expect even, oh, yeah, I've heard of it. Like, you know, my, my sister uses it or something. Something, right? Yeah. But what we are we are more of like, oh, not just do we know about Steam, but our livelihoods depended on it for a while. And, and we study it <laughs> mercilessly sometimes. We follow the updates. Like, we're on a totally different end of the spectrum. But like, you know, your average person maybe hasn't even heard of it. Whereas Amazon, it's like, yo, you need some Q-tips? You can get those on Amazon. It's like everybody needs freaking Q-tips once in a while. You know, it, it is universally accessible. So it's like on a whole different uh, playing field. Right. And I think that, you know, Amazon kind of tends more towards the end of the spectrum where people already know what they want when they land on there. Like Amazon doesn't have... I mean, I'm sure that, that people browse Amazon for like, hey, I want to see what... Like, you know, I'm kind of window shopping, right? Mm. Uh, which is sort of the, but I feel like that happens more with with Steam, right? It's and this is you know complete conjecture, right? Yeah, but, you've got, your tiger hat is firmly on at the moment. <laughs> firmly, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about, but I appreciate the speculation. Yes, well, you know, I'm just I'm putting forward a theory, and sure. I, I'm not saying it's correct, but the Jeff Blair theory, we'll call it right. Yes, <laughs> the theory being that Steam has more of a use case for people window shopping than say Amazon. Okay. Right, like people want to kind of browse and like, what's what's the game I should be playing next? But again, you know, that could just be my bias as an Amazon user who only goes to Amazon when I'm like, oh, I need X. Log on to Amazon, search for X, find the cheapest, fastest delivery, click buy now, then leave. When you're out of Q-tips, you go to Amazon, or I hope you go to smile.amazon.com. Wow, that's a... <laughs> Contribute to charity, Jeff. I do. Good. I think that my smile on Amazon is hooked up to the World Wildlife Fund. Oh, nice. The WWF. That, not, that makes me smile. Yeah, not the, <laughs> you. Did, you give money to wrestling. <laughs> I think that uh, that probably dates us because I think most people are like, "It's WWE. What are you talking about?" We're like, yeah. "No, no." In the eighties, it was WWF. Before yeah. they got sued. Did they get sued? Was that? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what the actual. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the actual implications were, but they, they had to stop and use something else. I know that much. Maybe it, for all I know, it was just a cease and desist letter, you know, uh, 
arrived at the WWF offices written on the side of a horse or something. <laughs> like, don't use our acronym. It's for animals. Get your wrestling out of here. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> we're, we're in the weeds here. Yes, we are. Um, something else that I thought was interesting, I was seeing a tweet from another uh, sort of prominent game developer, um, someone from Glass Bottom Games, and they were uh, kind of going on a rant about people talking about some of the Steam store changes and how <laughs> basically the gist of the the snippet that they were ranting about was that um, someone was complaining that like marketing was cheating, right? And it's like, I feel what? like people kind of got into this mode where they almost feel entitled and expect that putting your game on Steam means that Steam will give you visibility, right? And yeah. maybe maybe that was true for a time, but only because uh, the pool of games was smaller and Steam's algorithms kind of worked a certain way, right? Well, it is still true. It's just not true for the homepage anymore, as we've discussed on a previous episode. It, it was true for a Wizard's Lizard, and I'm sure it's one of the things that helped give it the legs that it did have. But you, that that is not true, and it's not been true for some time now. That like you know, I, the the front plate front page placement. I'm not sure how they go about it, but my best bet would be that it's um, hand curated at this point by Valve employees. A lot like uh, Apple. Same deal with Apple. Like they have a whole freaking team that handles like just what are we gonna, you know, show people on the new and hot list or whatever like the featured placement, you know, that's, that's right. coveted space. And it is very meticulously, uh, gardened by, by employees at this point. Well, well, my expectation with steam is that it's not true anymore, right? Like it's all algorithmically driven based on what they think you're going to buy. Even the homepage stuff, like the, those big billboards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah maybe, I don't know. The, well, it is a, it is a black box. When I, uh, when I scroll through that black box or that, that black box, but that like that kind of carousel at the top the featured carousel like a lot of the games that i see on there now say things like you know uh you know recommended by people on your friends list like they even before they introduced this more granular indication of why they were recommending something to you they you know in a previous steam discovery update um they had kind of alluded to hey we're recommending this to you because reasons right okay and the reasons weren't as explicitly clear as they are now perhaps um, but that's kind of my understanding of how the that homepage stuff works now. Yeah, I think that on most uh, websites, you know, we've talked about like Steam obviously is the main topic here, but also Netflix and Amazon and crap like that. They, they start off with the bare bones, which is just recommended for you. And always you're like, why? Right. And sometimes it can be really baffling. Like, why did you recommend me this, you know, princess outfit simulator? <laughs> like, I, w- I would really like to know, like, did I accidentally click on watch or, you know, did I buy something for my niece or something? <laughs> Like sometimes you don't know. That's because you opened an incognito tab and you were looking at princess dresses. <laughs> hey, on you're not supposed to know that. It's incognito. <laughs> How did you... I've been hacksword. That's right. That's what it is. Um, it's, it's interesting because I think that it's, you know, becoming more clear to people, hopefully, that Steam is not there to showcase your game necessarily right right? they give you an opportunity to showcase your game but as competition increases uh you know their motivation is to sell games and to make their player base happy and the best way to do that is by showing them the games that they think that they're going to buy and like right because a person who buys a game on steam and then enjoys it is probably much more likely to buy another game on steam right 
exactly so valve's interests are very much aligned with the player's interests in that respect but not as aligned with the developer's interest right because from the yeah. de- developer's perspective they're like i would love for you to put my game in front of every one of your users you know <laughs> ten thousand times per day yeah <clears throat> and that's the thing like you know valve has been dubbed uh king's makers or, or queen's makers and they really are you know like because <laughs> like they could. They could just be like, look, we're just going to advertise a wizard lizard on the homepage for the next month. <laughs> and we would probably be set for life, right? But that's true for, you know, what is it now? How many thousands of games are on Steam? You know, and that's just not going to be... They're not going to do that. <laughs> right? Well, yeah. And, you know, with even with that specific example, like that would actually harm their business, right? Because then exactly. people would buy it and be unhappy with it and then be less likely to buy again. <laughs> Right. Why do you automatically assume they'd be unhappy with? It? <laughs> well, you know, there's that deprecast. There it is. That's right. It comes out. Um, it's inevitable. Anyways, <clears throat> I think a lot of this is sort of leading up to the changes with Steam Direct, which they sort of alluded to before, and we talked a little bit about before, which is, you know, they're kind of going to do away with Greenlight and kind of move more towards the system where there's like a flat fee per game. Um, and for the developer to pay for the developer to pay. Yeah. And it's kind of been like up in the air because, you know, it was like anywhere between 500 and $3,000. Uh, and so, you know, there was a lot of like backlash from people who were like, you know, Oh, you know, you're like basically, you know, making it hard for the little guy. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of where this rant was coming from too, is like people sort of feel like there's this expectation now that they deserve you know, everyone is an artist and everyone deserves a, a place in the spotlight. But, you know, I, just, I don't really think that's true. You know, I mean, it would be nice if there were a place where people could find hidden gems. But, you know, it's not necessarily Valve's responsibility to make that happen. Right. Yeah. That that entitlement you mentioned earlier is um, right on point to me. You know, I remember seeing that with, uh, I'll never forget this. I don't know why. There's this, I forget certain parts of it, though. There's this Kickstarter, like, post-mortem. I was reading on Gamma Sutra. And I remember, you know, the developers had, what they felt, they had done their legwork and they looked at other projects that were similar to theirs and stuff like that. And then they launched it. And I remember them saying that they were pissed that they didn't get funded, like more of a response. And that is entitlement to me, you know? Like, what do you mean you're pissed? Like, you just expect to show up, like, if, if we build it, they will come kind of thing, you know? Right, yeah. you, can, you can be sad. You can be disappointed. You can, you can be upset. But don't be, like, angry at... Uh, who nobody because that's that's the real problem right is it not either not enough people know about it or they just weren't impressed right. you know and, and you don't deserve like you're not entitled to be angry about either i couldn't contact enough people i couldn't get enough attention or how dare you not like the thing that i made Th- those are ridiculous things to be upset about uh at people about right right um and then there's also sturgeon's law as we all know which is 90 percent of everything's crap and that's a problem because, you know, Steam is inherently just not going to want to feature everyone's stuff because, uh, you know, a lot of what we do is just kind of garbage. And, you know, like, you know, we've contributed mediocrity to the industry as well. You know, like, uh, <laughs> not to get too far into the Deprecast again, but a Wizard Lizard is a mixed game, right? Like, it's, it's not a hit game. It's not... Uh, it's not universally agreed upon as like, whoa, you got to check this out. This is a real indie darling. You know, like some people feel that way and that's great and we appreciate that. But the fact of the matter is like a lot of people make games, like a lot of games, even worse than ours. And like, <laughs> do those, I mean, really though, like do those deserve to be promoted heavily by the single biggest 
uh, P- desktop PC gaming platform in the world? No. You know, and, and, if, and if that's not true, you shouldn't be upset. I mean, you, you can be upset, but you shouldn't be, like, mad at Steam or, or like, the, the people who use Steam, you know? Like, that's just entitlement, and that's that's dumb. You got to earn it, I guess what I'm saying, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's just like every other creative industry, right? Like, and, and I think this is the thing that musicians and artists have been dealing with for a very, very long time, and, and people in film, I think. Like, it, it's almost... Games are sort of more complicated to make uh, than some of these other things. And so you kind of see the trends in those other creative industries first, right? Not right. That, that making music is easy or anything, right? That Not to diminish its value, but the amount of time and effort that it takes to put out one song is not the same as it takes to put out one game. Exactly. Like one yeah. game might have 10, 15 songs in it. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, and that's the thing too, is, is the games industry is younger than all these other industries by a long shot. So like we're basically seeing uh, the video game industry in its infancy, right? Like film is decades and decades old. Music is as old practically as people, you yeah. know, and I know that there wasn't an industry like, you know, I doubt people were trading rocks for songs, you know, back in caveman times. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is that like as an art form, you look at stuff like writing, you look at stuff like perf- like stage performance, you look at music, you know, these are all ancient compared to video games which are like the obvious oh, little baby industry we're just getting started right you know we don't know yet yeah and so the point i'm trying to make there is that like you know the trends that you see in creative space for music and art are i think the trajectory that games are on right and you can't really complain about it because it's just sort of the nature of the beast right when it comes right. to the bar being lowered to get things done and visible right but the bar going up in terms of quality and and marketing right and so to kind of get back this is sort of a rambly topic but the rant (laughs) that i was talking about was you know the person was saying like no marketing isn't cheating like you don't have an entitlement to be on the store like marketing is everything At, at this at this point in time that is the most important aspect to your game Absolutely. Right. And it's even true uh, for game. Like, okay, if we were smarter marketers and business developers, and if this was just what motivated us, right? Like, even a Wizard's Lizard, even though we talk bad about it sometimes, like, you know, yeah, we're proud of it in, in some uh, some cases and stuff like that. But if a Wizard's Lizard had found, like, if, if the people who would enjoy playing it all over the world, if they knew about it, the game would be a huge success. There's enough people in the world who think the bar is good enough with the wizard lizard. They're happy with the graphics. They're happy with the flaws. Cause there are a lot of people who have found it. They gladly slapped their money down. They played the hell out of it and they have positive memories leaving it. Right. Right. There's enough people like that in the world that if we could just find them, if we would do the marketing legwork, if we had the right biz dev connections, whatever it would take, if we found them, it could be a runaway success. Right. And that's true for a lot of games. Like, as we mentioned earlier, you know, there's there's some games that are way, way worse. And it's not true for every game, certainly. Like, some games are just too flawed. Like, they have too many problems, right? But most games uh, that, that hit a certain bar, like, especially on Steam, their problem is, is a visibility one. Like, that's what this is all about, right? Like, that's where Steam discovery came from. That's why people obsess over these Steam updates and, and the homepage placement and all that. And I think that's true for most games. Is most, most games would probably be a hit if they could just find the people who would enjoy uh, trading their, their money for access to it, you know? Right. But, you know, finding the signal through the noise is, is difficult, right? Exactly. Um, and so, like, that's kind of what Valve is trying to address, right? And they're trying to address it in 
you know, many different ways. And I, I think that the being open and transparent is the way to go. You know, I think that there's really no reason, there's no good reason to hide your algorithms because people are going to reverse engineer them anyway. And to the people that don't reverse engineer them, they're just going to be this mysterious system that, you know, kind of creates confusion, right? Right. Um, it makes it harder to debug. Um, and like, I, I really like the idea of like trusting your player base, right? Like, you know, and, and it makes it much easier for them to tweak the system when they get feedback from a player that's like, hey, you know, I saw that you recommended this game to me based on this, you know, criteria that I can see very plainly. And I, I, I kind of disagree with that because X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, this person is not a very good friend of mine and I don't care what they have to say, right? Like, <laughs> if I see something like recommended by Matt, I'd be like, I'm not going to buy that. <laughs> like, his taste of games Arsh. is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> he even likes our games. Hey. Hey. Hey, yo. Uh, anyways, you know, whatever it might be, I think that it's much easier for them to iterate on the system uh, when the user base can provide, you know, more clear feedback about why it isn't working for them. Right. And because they have so many different use cases, right? It's, you know, it's kind of like us sitting here speculating about how people use products, Amazon, Steam, whatever, right? Like, yeah. we can only speak to how we think people use the systems and, and how we use the systems, right? And that's yeah. sort of like a huge human flaw, right? And, and it's a source of much conflict uh, between people, right? When you have, you know, well, I think X because that fits my worldview and experience. Right. And someone else is like, well, I think why? Because, you know, I care about different things. Perspective is everything, man. Uh, I know some people who look at Amazon as like uh, the Walmart of online retailers. And, and by, by that, I mean, they don't want to use it. They see it as like the lowest common like, denominator. Right? Like, like a they, harmful they business. Yeah. Like I'm not going to buy products from there because they have crap products, which is like not true. I mean, yeah, sure. They've got, <laughs> to be clear, they have a lot of garbage products, right? But they also have like the high quality stuff and you know you see things too about how like maybe their relationship with their just so like steam like the developer publisher relationship like maybe they they don't treat their developers which would be their product creators as well as they could sometimes across you know rev share or discoverability like all that kind of stuff right but from my perspective because i i know i've got a very different perspective than most people like in our household we are amazon power users we have been prime members for years, we have recurring purchases set up to like, you know, buy paper towels and crap like that, right? And I also use uh, Prime Streaming. Like I watch a lot of shows and crap on there. Yeah. So like some, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, you know, I bought some through Amazon once. I think a lot of people have heard of it, certainly more than I've heard of Steam. But you know, what I'm saying is it's it's a wide spectrum. And in there, you're going to have like an infinite, infinite perspectives and how it's different. Yeah. Anyway, it's interesting to see how Valve approaches these problems because uh, it's hard, you know, kind of like they were talking about, like there's so many difference of opinions and so many ways that people use the system and then there's players versus developers and like blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, it's a difficult problem. So it's cool to see kind of like the behind the scenes about how they're approaching the solutions to this problem. And uh, I do believe that kind of handling them out in the open is the best way to do it. Yeah. <clears throat> so they have some screenshots here that will say like here they use um reasons you might like this game is what it says which is nice that's some transparency right but rather than what we were saying earlier which is like recommended for you and you're like why <laughs> what have i done <laughs> so it's like similar to games you've played so you got like here it's the examples like you've got eight hours in left for dead 2 and 13 hours in tomb raider and then obviously so obviously you've got your priorities shifted there 
user reviews very positive. Like that's always a good signal. Recommended by curators you follow. It shows three examples. 21 friends that you have won it. 51 friends already own it. So like these are all really positive data points. It's hard to argue with that, you know? Like reason you might like this game. You, you read that widget and you're like, oh, that those are all understandable. I really might like that game. So maybe I'll pick it up instead of like, uh, I don't know. You might. I thought you might like it. I just recommend it to you for no reason. You're like you need you need more more data. <clears throat> I think that from a developer perspective, especially like people really need to sort of understand that Steam is more and more of a bring your own audience kind of a deal, right? Yeah. Like, regardless of Steam trying to show your game to the right people at the right time, you know, you need as a developer to be more in tune with building your audience yourself and not just assuming that like, Hey, I'm going to put it on steam and, and there's a bajillion players and I'll just get some sales. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that, that used to be how it was. It used to be, if you build it, you, they will come right. Like if you could get on steam. Right. And like 2010, 2012, as we talked about before, somewhere around there, I think a key to success is being, um, maybe like an early mover, but more of just like jumping on something when the wave like at at the right time i don't know what that's called like the way when the wave is cresting or something like a surfer right it matters very much when you get on the wave right Right. and like these days you know we like i I follow a couple of um uh youtubers and twitch streamers i'm really interested in in that industry for some reason i just think it's fascinating because like you can have someone who's just sitting in their basement playing games and streaming it and one person's watching or no one's watching right and it's like this weird sad kind of thing going on like i've been there i've done that i'm streaming to basically nobody right (laughs) you can have the exact same person pretty much like exact same situation and they're streaming and they're streaming to five thousand people and they're making like six figures a year just playing video games right right and and i cannot figure out what the difference is i i don't know sometimes i'm like who are you oh you're just some dude playing games okay who are you same deal but you you are massively successful and i don't get i don't get what the difference is you know um, uh, some of it I think is just like you're talking about timing and you know obviously a lot of it has to do with personality personality right? so what I think it is is like picture someone who had like a who is it Swiftor is is a really big uh, Twitch streamer has been doing it full time for a while is probably like wealthy at this point from just freaking playing video games online with, with friends and strangers and I think a big part of it is like you know, Twitch used to be just in TV and then Twitch got more and more popular and then Twitch started hosting big events and stuff like, you know, here's the storm that we talk about a lot, started hosting their events through Twitch. And the thing is, is like Twitch was this big giant wave and it's probably crested at, at this point, right? And then Amazon bought them for like a billion dollars, you know? There's all these moments where Twitch was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you had caught the wave at the right point, like, it, you know, the ship has sailed, right? Like you're not... You can do the legwork, but you have to find the audience yourself, right? Like, it's no longer just enough to, if you build it, you will come. Like, if you if you just stream, people will show up. But, like, I, I've seen some interviews, too, with some um, some streamers and stuff. And, like, a lot of them don't even know where their success came from or why their followers kept building up, kept building up, because they were doing the same thing some of their peers were doing, and their peers didn't have similar situations. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's those, it's those waves. And I think a big part of it, too, is, like, every time, like, picture this, a, a brand new game comes out, and, like, people are all over it. And if you get to stream it early or just the fact that you're streaming it at all, like, uh, you know, people are Googling games all the time, but then like, oh man, Breath of the Wild came out. What a hot game. People are all over it. And if you've got 
you know, if you're if you're streaming Breath of the Wild Monday through Friday, or if you've got a couple of YouTube videos that are kind of fun to watch around Breath of the Wild, like there's another opportunity for you to hop onto another wave. Right. And I think, you know, success begets success, right? Yes. It, and like the the more successful you are, the easier it is to become more successful, I think. Right. Um, you know, because you have like uh, the virality of, you know, word of mouth and product placement because you've historically, you know, moved lots of units or driven lots of views or whatever. Exactly. Um, the way I like to think about some of the stuff with Steam is is similar to like the casual games portals of the like early 2000s, perhaps, right? Yeah. You know, it's like there was this big, uh, you know, thing about downloadable games. Like when I first started working at Yahoo Games, uh, it was sort of the tail end of that, that, uh, that scene. But, you know, I kind of got to see what was happening to it, which is happening to Steam now, which is that, you know, the first movers in that scene became, you know, quite successful. But as time went on, you know, and they were like downloadable games. People were paying like 20 bucks for a hidden object game, right? Yeah. And like that was a thing. And then people jumped on the bandwagon and it became saturated and the price got driven down and it was no longer viable to just, you know, be like, oh, I made a hidden object game and I'm going to sell it for 20 bucks and I'm going to get tons and tons of money, right? Like it just doesn't happen yeah. anymore. Um, because of, you know, one, the quality bar and two, uh, the amount of people also trying to play in that arena. Right. And then I think that, you know, you also see that with like the Flash game side, right? Like <clears throat> when people were able to play, you know, uh, all these free games online, you know, in their browser, you know, that kind of changed the paradigm for being successful monetarily uh, as a game developer, right? And it changed yeah. the model from, you know, hey, I'm going to download this $20 hidden object game to... I'm just going to put up with ads and play 500, you know, sort of crappy flash games, right? <laughs> or not. I mean, some of them were, were good, obviously. Um, <clears throat> but I think that, that we're seeing the same trends happening with the desktop gaming subculture now, right? Where, you know, it's hitting a critical mass in terms of people that want to sell their games, people that want to be game developers. Um, and, and, you know, the race to the bottom, right? Where, you know, like first movers in the app store, right? People were like, oh, I made a fart app and I'm making a bajillion dollars on the app store in 2003, <laughs> right? And and now, you exactly. know, now you can have a super high quality iOS game with like, you know, you spent $30,000 developing it and you have high quality assets and like it won't ever see the light of day, right? Exactly. Uh, potentially, so. Yeah, and you know, sadly, we can look at other markets like that, right? Like you were saying, that kind of a thing was happening uh, when you were at Yahoo Games, which was, you know, a fair amount of time ago at this point. And we can look at other things like the Apple App Store and the Android Play Store, whatever they're calling it now, and we can see that race to the bottom. And with Steam Direct on the horizon, you know, the writing's on the wall. Like Steam is going to turn into something like Play or Apple App, uh, iOS App Store. Right thousands and thousands of games i think it at uh one point i saw there was a thousand new games every day on ios <laughs> i don't even know if it was games i think it was apps actually but still that's not a lot of whatever <laughs> you right. know? so there's a it, you know we've had uh lars Doucet on the show before and he has a lot of interesting uh insight into how steam is going because he's very much into steam as like his bread and butter for making money um, and he has, you know, really good insights as, you know, to the trends that he sees and stuff. And so he's been posting a lot of cool stuff on Twitter about, uh, 
you know, he's been tracking indie games over the course of weeks and like how much money they've made and things like that. And it's really just, it's such a crapshoot right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I saw, um, what was he posting about? Oh yeah. Like if you want, if you want to be sobered, look at games that launched on Steam a month ago. Right. Cause it's one thing, like the games that have just launched get a little bit of, um, like a profile boost, right? Like some visibility there and you can see them and you think, oh, wow, you know, that game looks great and whatever. But like, how often do you go back a month later and check like Steam Spy or just look at the sales, see how many reviews there are, see see what the stats are for any of these games that came out, you know, like a month ago, right? And like, you know, it's, I think that's a pretty revealing thing because I know a lot of developers who've been working on their game for months, if not years, and they don't do that. Right, like they'll once in a while, like the best I've seen is they'll do the uh, the Ryan Clark thing, where they make the spreadsheet, the uh, like the comparables, right? Which is very hand wavy, as he states time and time again on his show. And you know, a lot of people just don't follow the games, like especially one that comes out that's kind of in your wheelhouse, like similar to the game that you're making, or, or mo- there's probably multiples, right? There's probably going to be like three or five games that came out that are similar to what you're working on, like follow them and find out what kind of money they're making and, and see what your expectations can be. Right. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Um, you know, this is just part one of three posts, apparently, uh, from Valve talking about their approach to discovery and Steam Direct and all that stuff. So uh, I'm going to be interested to see where it goes. But I think that no matter what Steam does, right, like, like, as a developer trying to sell games on Steam, you should be very much aware of how they present your game to players. Um, but I do very firmly believe that the ball is increasingly in the developer's court to, you know, market their game and build their audience outside of Steam and, and kind of treat Steam as like, you know, here's a store where you could buy my game, like now available in Best Buy, Walmart, and Target, right? Yeah. Uh, as opposed to, you know, I'm just going to launch on Steam and hope for the best, right? Yeah, like th- that was good enough for a period of time, but it's not anymore. And, you know, Steam still gives us great tools. There's, you know, if we talked before, there's like the um, the social fingerprints of like achievements, right? There's um, cards, trading cards, there's backgrounds, there's, you know, you get your own forum for free. Like we used to pay for our, our forum, right? And sometimes people will create their own forum, like whatever, like you get a forum for free on Steam. Like they give you lots of great tools. So it's still a good platform to use. It's just that it no longer comes with the pre-installed user base, which is like what got a ton of people on there in the first place because they were, you know, basically gold digging, right? Right. Digging for gold. But that ship has sailed and, uh, you know, it'll pop up again somewhere, somewhere else. else, right? Yeah, it's like whack-a-mole. always. Yeah, there's always. Yeah, there's <laughs> going to be one coming up. Uh, VR is a big thing. Like you know, mobile is a thing. Many years ago, at this point, there's going to be some other platform that kind of creeps up slowly. Like you know, itch itch is rising right now. Like with <laughs> with how saturated it already is, I don't know if it's ever going to be the kind of thing where you can be like, oh yeah, just existing on itch will, right? But there will be something. Actually, uh, the Facebook instant games, instant messenger games. We talked about. Uh, previously before like has another potential right because it's like a brand new platform within a platform of uh, like a billion plus users which you know the potential there is massive right right but there's always going to be another wave that's that's going to be building momentum and i think a big key to success is finding you know which basically which was like a different analogy here like a rocket ship right like which rocket ship you want to attach to and one of them might really take off and if it does like you could succeed with it 
I think that, you know, we've heard time and time again from people in industry, like you can't necessarily follow the same formula to success that someone else did, right? Exactly. Um, And it could be the platform, it could be the monetization model, it could be just the way you market your game, it could be the content of your game, you know, we saw a big shift towards like Twitch-based games, you know, like the first movers uh, for people that, you know, integrated Twitch chat into their games, like they saw some success, right? And then, you know, I don't even know if that's on the downswing yet, but, you know, it will at some point, right? Like that will become more saturated and you will have to do something different to stand out. Right. Um, And VR too, right? Like first movers into VR, it's like if you have a VR game at all, people are clamoring for VR content, right? At the beginning. Right. Uh, But that's also going to be, you know, the novelty of that will wear off and it won't be enough to just have, well, hey, look, I'm in a little VR game where I can like throw a ball around and it bounces and it's this is cool, right? Like this is new and different. That novelty wears off and... Know, then you have to find new ways to innovate right it's a it's a ruthless industry in a lot of ways right because it really is yeah people are always looking for the new cool thing right uh, yeah and it's hard right it's hard to be an innovator because there are so many people that you know and ourselves included right like i wouldn't say that we are innovative when it comes to gaming we're more of like the kind of people who are like hey we think this is fun and we want to do it for a living too um, and that's a tough place to be, right? And, you know, not to discredit our creativity or anything like that, but, you know, it it's hard to be successful when you're a follower, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the equivalent of me wanting to open, like, a taco stand where I live. <laughs> right. Because there's, like, I could walk to maybe as many as a dozen, like, really good Mexican restaurants, right? So, like, and if I've got something new, like, if it's fusion or something along those lines... Or like, this is a reason that restaurants will find success sometimes. It's like, hey, there's just no Chinese restaurant around here for miles. You know, like there's an opportunity. Yeah, and like we talked about before, you know, those opportunities come along sometimes, right? Where like Harvest Moon and um, Stardew Valley, right? Where, right. you know, someone says, hey, there's a gap in the market here, right? And that's what uh, Ryan Clark from um, Brace Yourself Games, you know, right. a lot of his weekly Twitch streams are about you know, gap analysis, right? Like where, where could a game be successful? Right. right. And, and why and how and blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Anyways, long, long rambly topic about selling games on Steam. That's all right. Um, let's have a perfect segue talking about Steam World Heist. Steam World Heist. All right. <laughs> so... Uh, Steam World Dig is a game that I had played a couple of years ago on DS. I forget which version of DS, but re- basically it's a side-scrolling platformer, uh, which has digging, <laughs> as is in the title, Steam World Dig. The graphics look really cool. It's by this company called Image and Form. The theme is like, um, you are kind of a gold digger. It is kind of, you know, the San Francisco rush, uh, except you're all robots. And because it's Steam World, the robots are powered by water which they use in interesting ways. And I thought that game was really good. My only complaint, and this is the sign of a good game, my only complaint was that it was too short. Mm. I, I, got, I got some combat complaints too. Like, I think that's a common thing. It, it reminded me a lot of Spelunky. I think it's inevitable because the environments are completely destructive, just like in Spelunky. Right. And, you know, the, but they're the jumping... Hand, they're hand curated, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so in SteamWorld Dig. Yeah. I think it's just, here's a big-ass world you can explore, and there you go. But what's interesting about it is, you know, no two players' uh, path through the game will be the same because you're digging your own path through it, like Dig Dug or something, right? Right. 
So you know the world's the same. By the time you're done, your map's going to look a lot different than mine. So uh, I had my eye in Steam World Heist because it's by Image and Form again, and it's in the same world. And uh, it's also a turn-based tactics game, which I traditionally enjoy. So I picked this one up not that long ago. And I think it has some interesting uh, just design decisions. So the thing that I noticed first and foremost is that these games are side-scrolling, right? Like uh, SteamWorld Heist is not a platformer, but it is from the side, which is an interesting choice for a turn-based tactics game, right? And I think the, one of the reasons that this company does that is because you can do a whole lot with it. You know, like you can just flip your asset, you can mirror it if you want it to go left or if you want it to go right. And they use dolls, uh, like as we call like skeletal animations, right? And all their characters are robots. So it works really well because, you know, one of the problems you get with sometimes like skeletal animations is the characters can look kind of stiff. Even though they're constantly moving, you know, they have good idle animations and stuff. There's still like, you know, you lose a little bit when animating by hand and instead using skeletal animations. But the fact that they're robots works really well. Um, they still have the the water is like your primary resource. Like you need it to live. It's like uh, your currency as well. I really like that because, you know, it's usually gold or gems or, you know, magicite or whatever the hell, right? But here it's it's relevant, like it's in the name, Steam. You know, it's it's relevant to the technology, which powers everything from your ship to your units and stuff like that. Um, so the, the turn-based tactics, like you've played lots of turn-based tactics games before. You know what to expect, right? Yep. But have you ever played one from the side? Like no. Side-scrolling one? So that alone I thought was pretty interesting. So the way it works is it'll be like, okay, your unit's turn. And then uh, you move an arrow around, which will like show you where you can go. And you can like, climb a ladder. You can move to the right, move to the left, whatever. And uh, if you find like a barrel, you can squat behind it and you get um, like a defensive bonus, right? Mm. And the main way of attacking, there, there's melee. If you walk right up to an enemy unit, you can just punch them. But mainly uh, your units, they have equipment. And one of those slots is a gun. And when you attack, you hold down or you press the right trigger and then you start to aim, like you stick your gun out. Then you've got all the time in the world. You can like aim, you can move up, move down. And then from there, it's physics based. So you, sometimes you'll shoot a gun and it just like shoots a bullet out and it'll go right where you expect it to. And other times you've got, um, you know, like in Spelunky, unless you've got the pitcher's uh, mitt, your bombs kind of go up in an arc and kind of go back down. You know what I mean? There's not just a perfect straight line. So like affected by gravity. They have that going on too. This sounds a lot like Worms. Worms, yeah. Um, although Worms has a real-time element. Worms will be like, it's your turn, go. And you start to like, ring, 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 and you have like 10 seconds or right. something, right? But, uh, like, but it, it does play a lot like that. Yeah, it's got the physics. What if you it's remove, got the turn -based. remove the turn timer, right? Yeah. Essentially, that's what it is. It's a side-scrolling turn-based tactical game, Worms. Yes, yeah, that's fair. Uh, the only other thing it doesn't have that Worms has... Where, so Worms has the perfectly destructible environment. Right. And actually in SteamWorld Heist, they, they didn't keep that. Like, you can blow up the barrels I mentioned earlier, the defensive mechanisms. But as far as the actual environment goes, like, you can't hurt the ladders, you can't hurt the platforms. I, at least I haven't seen any way to do it. Right. But, yeah, I think that picturing Worms in your mind is a, is a pretty reasonable starting point for what the game is. Uh, one of the things I really liked about it, because I'm an impatient bad gamer these days i guess is every time so like um the overworld like the meta game is um you're in a spaceship and it's again from the side and there's these kind of points almost like a points in a constellation 
and you can move around them. You move around, and it'll be like, okay, this is an enemy ship. You can fight it. This is a uh, like the equivalent of a town. You can dock and walk around and talk to people and buy goods and weapons and stuff like that, right? Uh, and then when you go in there and you let's say you land on an enemy ship, you're like, okay, I want to fight this enemy ship. You can choose your difficulty before the battle starts, which I thought was great because what I found is that the game's actually kind of hard. And you get penalized. Like if you choose the, the default difficulty and you and you basically get wiped or or you give up even in a battle, you get penalized. Like you lose 25% of your water or something like that, right? Huh. But if you pick the easy difficulty, you get no uh, penalization. So I was like, yeah, I'll just choose that and I can breeze through the game. And it's pretty great. And also if you want um to be challenged you go to like there's like four difficulties i guess like the easy medium hard and then stupid hard and uh you can have that if you want you know so it's like i can't really find a flaw in it you know that reminds me a little bit of when i was playing invisible ink which is sort of a turn-based stealth tactical game yeah um and one of the things that i really enjoyed about that game was that the way that they approach the difficulty curve, right, was like, uh, by and large, the game is the same across a lot of difficulty levels, but the the key difference being that you don't have any, like, rewinds. Right. So, in, like, the easy mode, you have, I think, several rewinds. So, if you take a turn and you're like, oh, that was dumb, my unit is now dead, which, you <laughs> know, in this game is like, if a unit dies and you leave the level without reviving them, they're gone forever. You know, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, you can just say like, well, that was a mistake. Let me just uh, rewind and then I'll move into a different square where I'm not going to be immediately. Because then you, you kind of know what's going to happen, right? Like, okay, I see right. that that enemy unit is going to move into this square on their next turn. And I know that now. And so I'll I'll avoid that. <clears throat> but right. when you want to play on harder modes, like they really just remove the number or completely remove the rewind feature from you. So I, I think that's a really great way to approach difficulty. Um, I saw the same thing in uh, Shovel Knight, which is a completely different game. But, you know, by and large, the game was the same uh, with the exception that you had fewer safety nets, right? Like there were right. fewer checkpoints, there were fewer health drops, you know, all the things that sort of ease the difficulty curve of the game. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's a really smart way to approach difficulty. I like it too. Yeah, especially in a game uh, like Shovel Knight where, you know, what usually happens to me in games like that is I find the difficulty cliff and I'm like, okay, there's only one thing I need to do next and this is it and it's really hard and I lose patience for it. Kind of like I did with uh, Blaster Master Zero where I just hit a brick wall. Like I I am cruising along, going 60 miles per hour and just crick brick wall. I'm done. You know, if there was like, you know, the equivalent of a difficulty thing, which was like, okay, you get the gist of this challenge with the spikes in the water and you just can't do it. Do you want it? to be easier i'd be like yeah i do like and afterward and that's the thing too like i don't want to play the whole damn game on baby mode you know because like you feel like you're missing something you're playing through baby mode like easy you know like sometimes and sometimes you do because like you know i come from nintendo uh, you know like most of my first games were were in the like all the all the first games i played were in the 80s you know and a lot of those games it was like you did get to pick your difficulty but there would be like oh you got the easy ending and the easy ending is like good job winners don't do drugs now get your ass back to the title screen, right? <laughs> Whereas like if you choose it on normal, you'll get like, okay, here's a proper ending. You get a little song, you get some graphics, you get a little cutscene, and you're like, yeah, credits roll. And you're like, I'm a badass, right? But so like, I wouldn't want to play through the whole game on easy mode, right? But if it's just like, like in Steam World Heist, you know, 
okay, I played this uh, ship and it kicked my ass, so I'm going to play it again on easy. And it doesn't hurt the whole game. You know, it's nice and, and isolated to just this one event. Like, okay, I couldn't beat that boss. And rather than putting the game down now forever and kind of having a bad taste in my mouth, I'll just be like, okay, easy mode. Like, <laughs> to right. me, it's a decent trade-off. I think that a lot of it is about messaging, right? Like, one of the things that uh, I liked in Shovel Knight was there really wasn't a difficulty setting, right? It wasn't like, oh, I've got to do this on easy because I'm terrible at the game. Right. It was more like, here's the game. You play it, and then... You beat it because there was, you know, a, a good number of safety nets, but right. they didn't message it to you as like, oh, you're playing on easy mode because you're terrible, right? <laughs> they messaged it as like, you know, here's the normal game here. It has this amount of checkpoints and this amount of health drops and it's just, you know, forgiving and fun. Uh, and then they introduced, you know, new game plus and then new game plus removes those safety nets. And, you know, I, I'm sure I talked about this before, so whatever, but uh, the presentation matters a lot. Right when you're talking yeah, about difficulty and 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 like player perception and feeling accomplished, right? Like no right. one no one feels accomplished when you're like, well, I beat it on easy mode, and and medium was the default, you know. So I feel like you're not going to brag about it. Yeah, exactly. You get to experience the game, you get to see the content, but I'm not going to be like, hey man, check it out. It beats Blunky on the deadest easy mode. Yeah. I feel so, like so the right way to approach difficulty in games these days is to make easy mode the default, but don't call it easy. It's kind of like when you go to <laughs> a fast food restaurant, right? And it's like, yeah. it, there's they no... They just shifted everything. There's, there's no small anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's just small. It's just, it's just <laughs> medium large and extra large, right? But it's... Yeah, you're right. It's the it same matters. thing. It matters, yeah. It matters because, you know, People's perception is like they want to be more in the middle, right? Like people are okay with like, oh, I don't need the extra large, but I, I want a little bit more than a small, right? Right. And then the same thing I think holds true for difficulty in games. It's like, well, I don't need to beat it on extra hard mode to feel accomplished. Some people do, but I would say the majority of people don't. But I would say that many people wouldn't feel as accomplished if they just beat it on easy mode, right? Yeah. And if you just shift that to where easy is normal, Media, you know, normal is hard and uh, hard is nightmare or something, right? Yeah. It, it just sets expectations in a better way. I think these days, rather than playing through a game on easy, I'd be more likely to be like, normal is too hard for me. I'm just going to watch someone else play it on YouTube or something. That <laughs> says a lot about the state of our industry, right? But that's, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, like beating a game on easy is very unsatisfying. But if it's not called easy, then it's nothing changes about the game almost, right? Yeah, they yeah. they should they should start with hurt me plenty. That's the easiest <laughs> mode, right? Yeah, and they just go up from there. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. That's a good uh, that's a good philosophy. So anyway, yeah, uh, I think it's a pretty interesting game. I noticed it pretty quickly got to what I would call just the content slog because you know early on when you're playing. Like, here's a new ship, and oh, hey, a brand new enemy you haven't seen before. And the second ship, and here's a new mechanic you haven't seen. Like, stuff bounces around, because it uses the physics. So, and then, oh, and the third one, there's now a soft limit. Every three rounds, a new robot will be spawned, and so you better get your ass out of there. Like, you know, heist. Grab <laughs> grab the goods and get out, right. right? But then by, like, I don't know, like, maps four through ten or something, we're just like, okay, here's the same stuff. And it's uh, procedurally generated because it'll say like, okay, building the ship for you, right? Right. And uh, I don't know. It pretty quickly got to the point where it was just like, 
same crap, which is fine. You know, if you just want to play the game a bunch, there you go. But it, it's definitely not one of those games that consistently is introducing new mechanics and new stuff to you. It's more like, okay, now you have a hat with plus one damage or like, here's a gun that shoots spread, you know, it, it's the little incremental uh, updates. And then like, it took a while, a couple hours, I guess, to get to the first boss. And then the boss would introduce um, things like a immunity period, which was brand new. And I appreciated that, you know, but the area between like the last time I'd seen a new mechanic and then the boss, it did feel like this kind of the slog, right? Be like my one complaint, but like, you know, some, it's, especially since it's a, it's a, I was playing it on 3ds, you know, that's kind of what I wanted. Cause I played it on the plane for several hours and like, I, I don't need the best content ever. I don't have to be constantly throwing curveballs and stuff. Like I was okay with just like, just play this damn thing and, and you know you know what to do you know right, yeah. I, was, I was okay with it. it hit me in the right spot just play it and feel like you accomplished something just shoot some robots and throw grenades it's cool that's right you'll have a good time yeah <laughs> well, anyway i do recommend it and i think image inform makes really cool stuff it's one of those companies that uh i'm just gonna watch like anytime they come out with a new game i'm probably gonna check it out because i i like their design approach there's something about their games that just kind of do it for me, you know? So yeah, I they're, played, they're on my radar. I played SteamWorld Dig and I, I really enjoyed it. It's cool. It's got a cool style. It's like uh, Firefly with robots. Yeah. That's how I would describe it. Yeah, sort um, of like a space western. A space western. Yeah, there was actually... So I, I um, docked at some town in space and there was a, a band playing and it was really cool because the closer you'd get to it, you could hear the band playing and you could hear... There was actually lyrics and it was all, you know, twangy and and. Sp- you know space westerny and then you move on and you talk to someone else and it's uh it's good stuff yeah good stuff anyway uh we will get to andre's question on the next episode uh or shortly thereafter um about theme expectations and horror games that'll be interesting yes um, that's all we got for this week. Check us out on Twitter, twitter.com slash lost decade games. We're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash lost decade games. And uh, that's it. Thanks for listening. Ship it. Thank you.
Oh, you weren't recording this whole time? No. Ah, oh, we had such good stuff. No stingers for you. Damn it, Jeff. Unless it, that's the one that I just said. Oh, that was post-recording? St- sting. St- sting. 